Your words were found and I ate them, and they became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. Have you tasted the goodness of God's word? That is the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 15, and this is the Living the Word Bible podcast. I'm Sarah Chris Meyer, talking with women about the Bible and the difference it makes in our lives. My guest today is Teresa Tamio, joining us all the way from Tuscany. Teresa, apart from great food and wine, what takes you to Italy this summer? Well, I'm actually in Umbria, just south of Tuscany, and I think it's actually prettier than Tuscany. Tuscany has Madison Avenue, but Umbria is called the Corte Verde, the green heart of Italy. So I think it's, uh, Tuscany is beautiful, but I think Umbria, I'm just kind of uh, partial to it. Well, my husband and I do a lot of pilgrimages, so we're here doing some research and investigating for some future trips, including one with a mutual friend of ours, the beautiful Kelly Walquist, up Uh in the New Evangelization, and she'll be joining us, actually, to do some additional work with me, actually, this weekend. So it's work-related, but it's also we kind of tie in both our love of Italy, all things Catholic, and all things Italian into being here. So we try to get here as often as possible. Wow, I envy you. I mean, it's beautiful here, but it's not Umbria, I'm yeah. sure. <laughs> if you don't know Teresa, she is a best-selling author and syndicated Catholic talk show host. She speaks around the world on issues of faith and Catholic teaching and has her own travel consulting company. So if you want to know where to eat or play or shop or pray in Italy, she is your girl. Teresa, welcome to the Living the Word Bible Podcast. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks for having me on. Really appreciate it. Yeah. Now, you know, you wrote about Tuscany in particular in a reflection from Living the Word Bible, reflecting on John 15 and how those fields of really lush vineyards around you are such a perfect illustration of life in Christ, of life in the vine, as it were. And I'd, I'd love to know some of your insights that you can get from the vines. What happens to all the great wine? <laughs> yeah, yes. <laughs> Oh, I have to say that. Well, I, I just think it's it's such a visual analogy for us. And being, as I mentioned, we're right next to, t- right under Tuscany and Umbria, but it's a very similar landscape, if, if you can imagine. I've been to Tuscany a, a million times too, and I, lo- I love it there, but Umbria has kind of become our, our new Italy home. And, and it's the same though, because when you're walking, you're walking literally, if you go for a walk, and my husband and I try to walk every day, you're walking either in the middle of or through like vineyards on either side of the road or olive gardens, you know, olive mm. And so you can literally hear the voice of Jesus talking about, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man abides in me, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Because you look at the vines and, you, and then you see all the work that has to be done on those vines. We go out every day and walk and we can see the people working in the vineyards and you know, um, tilling the soil and, and turning back those vine branches and making sure that they're all growing properly and, and involves a lot of pruning. And, and it's just, hmm. just so visual to who we are as Christians that the Lord is always pruning us while we're on this earth because this is not our home. This is, this is not heaven. We're pilgrims on a journey. And so you can imagine what it must have been like for the apostles and others who heard Jesus say that. So, you know, over 2000 years ago about being the vine and staying close to him and what that means. And we had a very powerful experience two years ago or three years ago in Tuscany, right before COVID when we were here in Italy. And we were at an olive grove and we were examining these olive trees and the host of the of the vineyard and the olive grove was talking to us about what was being done. And there was a man there 
And he, he had an example and he explained to us in Italian and she translated, he was at this one tree that was just all over the place. It was just wild and the branches were closing in on it. And then there was another tree that had been pruned and this olive tree had not been pruned. And it was such a painful process. You kind of felt sorry for the tree because he's chopping away. <laughs> he was explaining to us that if you don't do that, similar to the vineyard and the vines, they grow on top of each other, they get entangled, and they eventually wither and die because hmm. they're, they're not being pruned in order to grow more. And again, the visual of Tuscany and why I shared uh, in, in the Bible uh, study that we were doing and we were writing, because it's just easy to understand that analogy of what happens if we don't grow and if we don't allow God to maybe remove us from a particular situation or do something differently in our lives or or maybe take something away from us that we thought was so important. All of that is pruning and all of mm -hmm. that helps us grow. And it's so visual to be here, even if you're in California or another place that has wineries. I know the beautiful state of Minnesota has wineries, Michigan has wineries. It's such a great analogy for who we are as Christians. So something struck me as you were talking, you know, Jesus going along, talking to his disciples. And when he was telling them what he was, what he was saying about staying close to him, like a vine to the, you know, branches on a vine, that was right before he died. Mm -hmm. And they were actually on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane. And I imagine that they're thinking, well, we want to stay close to you in body. Right. And yet he had in mind a very different way of staying close to him that really applies much more to us uh -huh. because we can stay close to him, you know, through prayer, through scripture, through the sacraments. And that's what keeps that life flowing through, through us, the branches to help us to grow and to bear fruit. Yeah. And also not only us, but you're part of a community. You know, we're part of the one mm. Catholic and apostolic faith. And when you can see how close all the vines are together, that if one isn't growing properly, it's going to affect the rest of the vineyard and also the rest of the olive trees because they tend to, the, their roots are so deep and mm. really can't impact the rest of us if we don't stay close to Christ and, and, and the impact that the negativity or the rejection of Christ you know, we can we can think about all the positive effects that a faithful person who's trying to love God has, and what happens if if someone turns away from the church and God forbid starts going in the wrong direction and doing bad things. I mean, it all has a ripple effect, just as it does with the vineyards and the olive groves. Mm, yeah, I'd never thought about that. I didn't realize that they would affect each other. Mm -hmm. So. Something that you said at the end of your reflection, you ended with a challenge and you said, hand those pruning shears over to God, choose to stay connected to him. And only then will you be able to enjoy the bountiful fruit of life and your cup will be filled to the brim. And I thought how, how often we think that our life is filled to the brim, even without Christ. And my guess is that you have experienced that fullness of life in Christ. I was thinking that prior to getting into Catholic journalism, you know, you had a really nice career as a secular reporter and anchor, and I imagine your life was very full. And I'd like to know, you know, was that not fulfilling? And what prompted you to leave that and reconnect to Jesus and go all out for him instead? Well, at certain times, it was certainly fulfilling because I, I was achieving all the goals that I had set for myself as a child. I mean, you know me pretty well, and you probably figured out a long time ago that I'm a type A personality. <laughs> you know, if I say I'm going to do something, I, I pretty much do it. 
And I, I was very successful. I, I won all kinds of awards. I was named American Women in Radio and Television one year. I won AP awards. I won Emmys. And, and, and yet, at the same time, it, as, as happy as I thought I was, I was, I was never doing enough for those new mm-hmm. directors, for those EPs, executive producers. It was like you're that gerbil on the treadmill. You always have to keep going and going and going and going because you're only as good as your last story or your last award or your last investigative piece. So there was this constant, I would say, dread of if mm-hmm. I don't constantly perform and measure up or you know keep up with the Joneses in the newsroom, then I could easily you know lose that position. But the other thing is, too, is that it's such a toxic environment and pray for the people in the secular media because it's a very difficult environment to work in just in general because of the deadline pressure and because of the demands of, of you know, what we call feeding the monster 24-7 now in the news business. And because it's so demanding and so competitive and often affects your personal life where there's a high rate of divorce, there's a high rate of other situations in newsrooms because it's such a demanding business. And it started to affect me. It started to affect my marriage. And I realized at one point, what am I doing? Why am I doing all this? And this was before I came back to the church. And and I lost a job, a very prominent job. They were changing things and the ratings were going down. So they always take it out on the on-air people. And I was one of several to lose a prominent position in the news business. And I walked out of the building and never forget this. The night before I was a lead story on the evening news. The next day I was, you know, walking out with a box in my hand and then going to the unemployment office and thinking, what the heck did I sacrifice so much for? My marriage was in a shambles. I had, and I had nothing outside of my identity as, as a newscaster. And again, this is before I came back to the church. So there wasn't a, a fulfillment in the sense of fulfilling my goals and reaching success. But again, it was never enough. And then at the same time, they would let you go in a heartbeat as they did with me and other people. Mm. They didn't appreciate you. So it took a lot of pruning. It took a lot of pain me to realize that my priorities were not in the right place. But the pain that I went through was well worth it because of what happened when I came out on the other side. So that's interesting in light of life in the vine, you know, just the contrast between the world's idea of work and what makes, you know, what it means to be fruitful. And whereas if a vine tender is tending the vines, there's a point at which, okay, that's enough fruit. And now you're going to rest for you know, the winter and become this bare, you know, a a totally bare stripped down vine for a while, but that's so that you can get filled up again. Uh Whereas in the world, just getting lopped off, you know, looking for another, another person to have fruit immediately. It's a big contrast. So what was life like on the other side? Uh, When you became Christian, how would you describe the difference? Well, it was, it was a really interesting because when I first came back to the church, I was hired by a local Protestant station, evangel- uh, evangelical station, the big 15 mm. some water. And it was the same station where Al Cresta worked before he came back to the church. And he had the afternoon uh. show, and then he returned to the church, and then he, he was starting Ave Maria Radio. And I was hired by a person who, unbeknownst to me at the time, he knew me through, we, there was a Christian media fellowship group, and kind of jumping around with my testimony, but I got fired from that job that I mentioned. I got hired again by the ABC affiliate, worked there for several years, got totally delusioned and just walked away from the business in 2000. And I just said to God, you know what? You've given me 20, I was on the air 20 years at that point, right? 20 years in a major market, my hometown. Most importantly, you saved my soul and my marriage. If you never want me on the air again, that's fine, Lord. You know, as I say in my new book, my first chapter about my mom, offer it up to God. So I just give it back to him. I said, whatever you want me to do, and I'm, I'm fine. 
And there was a real sense of peace. And I, I had no mm. idea what I was going to do. I walked away from a six-figure-plus salary with my husband's support because he saw how miserable I'd become. And he said, you know, whatever you want to do, just take time to pray about it. And within two weeks of saying that prayer, offering it up again, I got a call from this evangelical station from a friend of mine that I knew. And it was a Christian media fellowship group that I was in with Al Preston and a few others in the area here in Michigan. And he said, hey, we're, we're doing a midday show. We'd like you to host it. And so I, I ended up doing this show called Christian Talk with Teresa Tamio. But unbeknownst to me, all these little pieces that God works out, my friend Sean, the program director at the time, was converting to Catholicism. (laughs) And then in the middle of that, this is so weird. And you know this, being on the publishing end of things, I was at this station and there were some former Catholics. It wasn't the Protestants that that were attacking me. It was former Catholics who became anti-Catholic fundamentalists because they never knew their faith. God bless them to Mm. begin with, unfortunately. They began attacking me, telling me I worship Mary, I re-sacrifice Jesus on the cross, all those you know things that they say to us when there's a misunderstanding about the faith. And in the midst of that, I received Jeff Caven's book, Life on the Rock, A Rebel hmm. of the Catholic Church. Now, that was a Catholic book published by Ascension Press. Catholic mm-hmm. publishers don't normally send Catholic books to Protestant stations because they know that there's, there's, there's that issue there and it's, it's not going to get coverage. That was the first Catholic book I ever received in my two and a half years there. Never received another one. But that book Mm. at such a great time. And I read through it so quickly and I became a nut for apologetics. I mean, I was learning. I was starting in a Bible study, a a non-denominational Bible study. My husband and I were in together because there weren't any Catholic Bible studies at that time. But this book of Jeff's helped me so much. And it opened up this whole world of apologetics to me. And it enabled me to answer my colleagues at the station about what the church taught. And I was able to answer it from scripture. And, you know, the importance of knowing your faith from scripture is so huge. And that experience there was, was very good for me because I saw it really enforced the beauty of the church. Because even though there were wonderful people that were on the air with me, depending on what time of day, and I mean, no, I'm not trying to insult any of our Protestant brothers and sisters because they were, many of them were very helpful to me. But one time you could hear someone who believed in one saved, always saved. Another day part, uh, one saved, always saved. Another day part, you'd hear somebody else say, no, you're not one saved, always saved. Another another pastor or someone else who had a radio show believed in infant baptism. Another didn't. And I'm thinking, the reporter in me says, well, everybody can't be right. I mean, there's got to be <laughs> basis of teaching that that is yeah. true across across the board. And it just really affirmed my faith in the church because it makes mm. every scripture verse fits in the Catholic church with the sacrament, yeah. the way we live our lives. And so understanding faith from scripture, but going through that persecution, going through that pruning where God said, okay, you, you're going to have to learn how to defend your faith from scripture if you're going to witness to people, but also if you're going to be challenged, which you are going to be challenged, mm-hmm. you need to be able to defend it in a loving way. And that's what that taught me. Hmm. So did your journey go through sort of a, a Protestant? Did you have a Protestant episode before you came back no, to the Catholic I never Church? No, I never left the Catholic Church. Okay. Was in, inside me, and this was from, and this is why I told parents not to give up, because I went, I had a very, very good Catholic education in grade school. And both the nuns and the lay people were very good. And I had a very powerful experience at when I made my first Holy Communion, and that stuck with me. And again, I think my ability to think through things and connect the dots, my training as a journalist, I knew that I couldn't leave the church because of the fullness of truth. And mm. so it wasn't that I walked away from the church being angry and becoming Protestant. It was just that I got pulled into the world. 
and everything mm-hmm. was going great for me. I met a great guy with a great, you know, had the money and all this stuff and my career was going well. I didn't think I needed God. I, I left him in the, you know, in, in the rear view mirror. So it wasn't anything about pulling away in terms of something I didn't like about the church. It was just, yeah, I'll check in with God when I, you know, when I need something. And then my life is out of control. So yeah. Tell me about your growing up a little bit. I know just to extend that garden imagery, you know, before tending the vines, somebody plants the seeds. And I know you have this wonderful new book, Everything's Coming Up Rosy, 10 Things My Feisty Italian-American Mom Taught Me About Living a Godly Life. I imagine she planted a lot of seeds for you. <laughs> she sure did. And sometimes she would hit me over the head with them when she was <laughs> in her Jersey Italian style. Yeah. And the all these yeah. It's funny because What was I, she like? Oh, she was she was a hoot. Or as my friends say, she wasn't just a trip, she was a round trip. You know, oh, God. <laughs> I say in the book that she was a travel agent for guilt trips. She worked until she was the day she died. She was a tra- full time travel agent for guilt trips. <laughs> But she was very feisty. She was very loving. She's very outgoing. She loved people. She was very nosy. One of her nicknames was Nosy Rosie. And I really think that's where I received my interest in, you know, being inquisitive and, and questioning and being curious. I think I received it from, mm-hmm. from my mom as well as her outgoing spirit. She had struggles and she was able to really draw from her faith. And she would say these things to us at two older sisters. You know, for example, like offer it up to God and put it at the foot of the cross, which is the first chapter in my book, the new book, Everything's Coming Up Rosy. And that just stuck with me. And I say that over and over again, because I realize that unless we start there at the vine, you know, which we're talking about, mm-hmm. then nothing else makes sense. It has to start with this commitment to God. It has to start with understanding our faith, it has to start with the word of God, and everything's got to be given over to him. And it's not just a one-time thing. It's not just a one-time prayer. It's every day we get up and, and, and we you know, say, here I am as St. Teresa of Avila said, I am yours. I was made for you. What do you want me to do? And so that stuck with me. She used to always tell me the Blessed Mother, M-U-T-H-A, and I phonetically <laughs> spell this out in the book and all these different chapters, is watching you. Uh, reminding us of of our mother Mary. Jesus gave us uh, her on the cross, right? When he was dying, he said to John, mm-hmm. behold your mother. We know this from scripture, again, scripture. And he said to the blessed mother, behold your son. And so those are very specific instructions from God as he's dying on the cross in scripture, telling us that Mary should be an important part of our life. And so I think that even though my mom only had a high school education, her life experience and growing up in a poor immigrant family on the East Coast and struggling really helped her understand the deeper things in life. And she passed it on in kind of a quirky, very feisty combination, Sophia Petrillo, Marie Barone, and Mother Angelica Way, as I describe <laughs> in the book, but really brought those messages home for me that still resonate. And she planted those seeds and, and it was kind of sporadic. And I love the word broadcast because if you look at the definition, there's several definitions for the word broadcast. One of them refers to farming, where you mm. broadcast the seeds and you just throw them out as opposed to, not that I plant anything. My husband calls me Morticia because anything I try to grow, I automatically kill <laughs> it is, but I'm just not, I don't have a green thumb. But the broadcast is another great analogy because we're planting seeds, but we're not planting them in very organized rows like some farmers do. So this idea of broadcasting is to throw the seeds out and let the rest happen, you know, nature-wise or let God do his thing. And I think that's what my mom did. She would throw out these little bits of wisdom here and there, not knowing, hoping that they would right be planted mm-hmm. and, and result in fruit. And they did, but not until many, many, many years later. But that's what I told parents. You'll just keep planting those seeds. Keep, you know, 
reminding your kids of, of the priorities and, and, and keep them focused on God. And eventually, I really do think they, they take root. And, you, and I think a lot of people do come back to the roots. I know I did. Well, if we don't spread the seeds, they're, they're not going to take root. Exactly. And I think of Jesus spreading the seeds, you know, the, the parable of the sower and the different types of soil it falls on. You know, sometimes the bird snatches it up. But even then, eventually it returns to the ground and those seeds hold the life in them. Mm -hmm. And the word is like that. It has the life in it. So if you plant it, at some point you water it enough and it will come to life. So, yes, very encouraging for uh, parents. Mm -hmm. Are there any other things that you learned from her that you wanted to share? <laughs> well, my friends tease me, the ones who knew her. And, you know, and, and they say, gosh, you could probably write four volumes with the things my mom was just. <laughs> the other thing I think she taught me that was very important for right now is she had, I have one chapter, and this is a saying that she got from my grandmother, her mother. She said, it's not all peaches and cream, you know. And that's where she taught us that, look, in this world, right, getting back to scripture again, as Jesus told us, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And we're in this day and age where, where people have such a hard time. And it's very sad. I mean, nobody wants to suffer. God doesn't want us to suffer. He doesn't go around zapping people. But they don't know how to deal with suffering, and they don't understand what it means to have a redemptive suffering. Okay, how can what I've gone through, as it says in Romans 8, 28, another one of my favorite verses, how can what I have gone through or what I'm going through make a difference? I mean, mm -hmm. my mother would say that, like, offer it up to God, put it at the foot of the cross, or it's not all peaches and cream. And I would say, well, what does that mean? Like, why does God want my stomach ache? Or why does God want the fight that I have with my friend? Or what do you mean a style peaches and cream? Why can't I have it a lot? But that's life. And if we don't learn how to handle it, this is the result we get. And we see this in our country with all these reports coming out now of loneliness, right? The loneliness epidemic and the depression and the CDC report that came out not too long ago about girls being depressed is because for some reason, we believe that we're supposed to, that this life is it. That's what the culture tells us. You have to take everything that you can get now. All right. It's all about you. And for example, not to get into politics, but in the, one of the presidential elections not too long ago, when the kids didn't like the results, the colleges were placating them and giving them hot cocoa and marshmallows and bunnies and puppies to deal with their disappointment. Well, that's not life. You know, mm -mm. it's not life. And I was so proud of, of uh, Cornell University. This happened earlier this year. I don't know if you heard this story, but the students decided that they were going to get together and they all signed this petition or whatever you want to call it. They wrote this, this, this recommendation. Actually, it was a demand. And they had thousands of signatures and they presented it to the administration and said, we want trigger warnings. Whenever there's going to be content that we find upsetting and a whole list of things, then we want warnings. We want to be advised about it. And we want to be able to get up and walk out of class because we don't want to hear wow. it. La, 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 you know, blah, blah. And we don't want any repercussions. We don't want to have to make up the class, the homework, anything. And thank the Lord, the school said, no, that's not life. This is good for them. Supposed to learn how to debate and, and, you know, talk with people. And if you don't learn it here, you're never going to survive in the real world. I mean, it's just to me. Yeah, grow up. Yeah, it's like grow up. Pull up your, you know, big girl and big boy pants. You know, it's not all peaches and cream. It, it's not all yeah. going to be your way all the time. And you're going to have to work with people with whom you disagree. But the fact that they were just demanding this and saying that, well, we just want to walk out and I don't have to worry about my homework. I, I was like, what? What? Where is this coming from? This idea that we have to have mm -hmm. everything and it's all about me. And we push God out of the picture. Wow. 
I want to ask you something that uh, just came to me as I was thinking about your mother. Um, so I'm a convert and I grew up with, you know, people who were steeped in scripture all the time. And that is how we related to the Lord. That's how we related to each other, everything around scripture. And since becoming Catholic, I have met many wonderful Catholic, mostly women like your mom, who maybe never read the Bible on their own. Clearly, they are plugged into the vine, right. you know, clearly love God. Maybe they have all these little sayings, you know, offer it up and things like that, as opposed to quoting scripture. Is scripture necessary? Why do we need to read the Bible? Well, it's it's absolutely necessary. And I always look at the word Bible as an acronym, basic instructions before leaving earth. I mean, the Bible is mm -hmm. God and it's, you know, you look at the mass Every word of the mass is scriptural, except for the homily, which is then a reflection, right, on the readings. I mean, I remember when my husband first started in the diaconate, it was taking a class at Sacred Heart Major Seminary in Detroit, and the professor went over each part of the mass and talked about where it came from in scripture. I think, for example, in my mom's age, you know, she's the greatest generation, the World War II generation, they had this, this love of God because faith was present. And this is true for a lot of, of Catholics, and even a lot of baby boomers. Faith was present in their life, maybe not in a scriptural way, because they were so into the church. They knew scripture from the mass and knew scripture from the sacraments. They took those sacraments very seriously, and that made sense to them. So they had an innate understanding in terms of just a, it was kind of like in their blood, so to speak. They just grew up with this with this faith, maybe not a scriptural understanding of it. But later on, it's interesting because when Deacon Dow and I and my husband and I came back to the church and I, we were in Bible study. My mother became very interested and she joined a prayer group, a local prayer group with these adorable women. And they were from, they were Catholic, they were evangelical, they were Baptist, and they would meet once a week until my mom, as she died in 2020, until she was still living at home. She was moved into assisted living about two years before she died. But she went to that, that little prayer group every week and the woman who ran it was Catholic and they would look at a scripture verse. And that intrigued her and she even joined uh, Bible study fellowship when I joined it, the women's group. Hmm. And then she, she got very much into prayer groups at our parish and she started reading the little living faith and the word among us. And she just loved it. Mm -hmm. And it was so funny because she would keep me humble. She'd call me up and she'd have a question about scripture. And by this time I was in Catholic radio, I'd written a few books and whatnot. And I had been in years and years of Bible study and had, was going to the diaconate program with my husband. And I'm thinking, oh, I can handle this. I can answer this question. And I'd give her an answer, which <laughs> I thought was, you know, really good. And she listened and she'd say, that's very interesting. When's your husband coming home? <laughs> <laughs> so in other words, my husband, the deacon, soon to be deacon, was the one that, you know, again, she kept me humble here. I'm thinking, well, you know, I'm on the air. I'm giving talks. I mean, scripture, mom will be happy. But I, I just think she that. She wants the deacon. Yeah, she knew from her heart of hearts and, again, the life experience. But having that basis of the faith. And hearing the scriptures every week at Mass. Catholics know a lot more than they think they know, even if they're not in the book. Mm -hmm. Because if you're following the readings, right, in that cycle, that three-year cycle, by the end of the cycle, you're going through a big chunk, uh, if not most, of the Bible. But I think the scripture is absolutely necessary. What does, you know, um, St. Jerome, ignorance of scripture is ignorance of Christ. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that, that, that we have to know everything, you know, chapter and verse, but certainly when you are in the readings every single day, 
not only are you in connection with the universal church, because all the readings are the same, we're all in, you know, it's one holy Catholic and apostolic faith around the world, which is a really cool thing to think about. But it becomes part of you. And, and it, you just start to breathe it and you understand it and then things will jump out. And then even if you're reading another chapter or verse again, you'll learn something new from it. And then God will speak to you through those words about something that happened. I had the experience um, uh, Trinity Sunday when I was getting ready to talk to a friend of mine and I was pretty upset about something. And I was just in my Italian way. I'm like, somehow I have to tell her that I'm really upset and she needs to know this, blah, blah, blah. And I, and I prayed about it and I said, I'm just going to wait. I'm going to calm down. I'm going to wait and I'm going to start the conversation in a loving way. And I did that without even mentioning anything about which I was upset. And the conversation was so positive because I was kind. Mm -hmm. And I started out with, Hey, how you doing? Blah, blah, blah. Great conversation. And then the next day, the reading in mass, the second reading was from second Corinthians about greet each other with peace and greet each other with love. It's like, boom, mm. right? Could have had a V8, but it was an affirmation. <laughs> but that's what happens when, yeah. you're, when you're reading scripture, when you're in touch with God. Even if you're airing out your frustrations, <laughs> you're, you're talking to God all day long, you read the scriptures and then it's like, okay, yeah, yeah, here you are. So it's being in touch. It's God's love letter. If we love someone, it's absolutely necessary to be in communion with them and communicate with them. Well, how do we communicate with God? Well, obviously confession, the sacraments, but scripture. And it's so easy in the Catholic Church because every day it's outlined for us in the Mass reading. So I would encourage people to do more than that. I mean, actually, if you can get to Mass every day, great. But if, if you can't read the scriptures, do a devotional. But then do a study or, or the Bible that, mm -hmm. that, that I'm part of with you. I just think it's so good because of the, the way it's broken down and the way there's so many different analogies in there for women to have a deeper understanding of faith and of scripture and why it's important. Do you have a daily habit? Do you read with the along with the church or do you do yes. something else? Yeah. As a matter of fact, I, I, do, I love the Magnificat. Love. The mm -hmm. Magnificat. So I do that. And then uh, my husband and I got into the habit when we came back to the church of doing, trying to do the readings every day together as a couple. And we were using, and we still do that. We do Word Among Us. And so he'll read Word mm -hmm. Among Us and he'll read that reflection and I'll read the reflection from the Magnificat. And even if we can't read together, we always try to do the readings on our own. Of course, as a deacon, he has to do the, the, um, Liturgy of the Hours and whatnot, but I kind of find the Magnificat I like because it's like a mini Liturgy of the Hours because it mm -hmm. breaks it down with different prayer at different times of the day. I just find that that keeps me connected to the church, the mind of the church, the heart of the church, mm -hmm. able to pick up and know that the rest of the world, the rest of the Catholics in the world are actually reading the same scriptures. It's pretty awesome if you think about it. Mm-hmm. I like their morning prayer, too, because it, it usually is a particular theme. And so yes. you get a number of different verses, Old and New Testament. You yep. can see that connection and then how the psalm guides your response. Mm -hmm. It's really very helpful. So do you have um, a favorite book of the Bible or a favorite passage that you really like to go to, either when times are hard or just when you need something to read? Oh, I love, oh gosh, there's so much. I, I love my favorite verse, which we began the conversation. What is John 15, 5? I am the vine, you are the branches. The man abides mm -hmm. in me, he will bear much fruit apart from me. You can do nothing because I, I did a lot on my own apart from him. <laughs> and I <laughs> ended up in a big mess, so I totally get that. But then I also love parts of the Old Testament. I love the book of Esther. I just love Esther. Mm. I love her humility. I love her bravery. And I also love the fact that we're actually writing a chapter about this for a book I'm working on with Kelly Walquist. I just love the fact that 
she dressed for success in the sense of before she went <laughs> king, she was dressed basically in sackcloth and ashes and she's on her knees day and night and she's praying because she knew that if she went before him without being summoned, it could have very quickly been off with your head. I'm not telling you anything you don't know because you're a Bible expert, but I love the courage that she had and that she decided, okay, I'm, I'm Queen Esther and I need to go before him. I need to dress appropriately. And I think sometimes the word dress can be symbolic for how do we approach God? You know, what are we, how are we dressed mm. in our heart and our mind? But I think it's also important. And I feel this way as, as a public person who's been on the air for literally since dirt, practically it's over 42 years I've been in the media. I think it's important to make a nice presentation. And I'm not talking about getting all dolled up and having expensive clothes or anything like that. But I think presenting yourself well is important. I think mm -hmm. Jeanette Bankovic always says wearing makeup is an act of charity. And I, <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think that's, that's a beautiful way to show respect for God when you go to mass and you dress well. When you go to a business meeting, you're not going to show up in your, you know, your COVID jumpsuit or whatever, your COVID sweats. You're going to go in a, in a nice dress or a nice suit, and you're going to have that meeting. Now, how are we approaching God when we go to confession? How are we approaching God when we go to mass? Are we are we dressing neatly? I'm not again not talking about being fancy or anything. I think that's mm -hmm. important, and so I love Esther because before she went to the king, she then was dressed appropriately, right, mm -hmm. as a queen. And I think that's that's really important. So I love and I love her story of courage. You know, for such a time as this, when Mordecai says with this, and she's like, "Are you kidding me?" I could get my <laughs> no, well, you know, I mean, for such a time as this. And then, of course, I love Romans. I think the letter of Romans is very powerful. But I really, really, again, always go back to John 15, 5. That just means so much to me because of my own life. And I think because of my familiarity, being familiar with Italy and the vines and having mm -hmm. been to so many vineyards to see how it works, it just makes so much sense in terms of our life. Well, we will all have to go to Italy and join you in contemplating the vineyards together. Yes. <laughs> well, we've, got, we've got room on our wine pilgrimage with Kelly, and we also have room on a, a trip that my husband and I are doing in November. So check it out online at TeresaTamio.com under my events section. Yes, or Women in the New Evangelization. Yes, at the vineyard.com. the wine floor. Mm -hmm. But well, before we go, I'd like to pray with that John 15 with everybody. So if you're listening, maybe close your eyes, allow the word to speak to your heart as I read. And we pray, come Holy Spirit, open our hearts and minds to receive your word. And I'm going to read from John 15, I think I'll read verses 5 to 11 and then skip down to verse 16. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If a man or woman does not abide in me, he is cast forth as a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you will, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide. We pray, Heavenly Father, for everyone who is listening, that they will 
learn to ever more deeply abide in you and experience that life that you bring and the fruit that you long to give to them. And we thank you for your word and for the life and strength that it brings. Open our ears to hear and our hearts to receive and ponder what you say to us in Scripture. And give us grace to love and live your word in our daily lives. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, the living word. Amen. Mary, Mother of the Word, pray for us. So thank you, Teresa, for joining me. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we go? No, I just really hope women get the Bible and, and just really study it and don't be afraid of it and just ask God you know, to help you with it. And when you're, when you're going to read scripture, say, Lord, what do you want me to learn from this today, even if you've read it before? And as Rosie always said, offer it up and pull it the fruit. Offer it up. <laughs> <laughs> Wise advice indeed. Thank you. You're welcome. So this is Sarah Chris Meyer, and this has been the Living the Word Bible Podcast. Thank you for listening. I hope that you'll join me every Thursday for conversations with women who love and live God's Word. This podcast is part of the Spoke Street Network. For more great podcasts, visit Spokestreet.com.